If you are a fan of Fridays in March, rest assured that you will have one more opportunity in 2023. Today is also the 83rd day of the year, so if you're a fan of prime numbers, today is a day to celebrate. You have one more of those in March, and I'll say which one at the very end of this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. For now, I'm Sean Tubbs, and it's on to the information. On today's program, a second candidate has emerged in the race for Rivanna District Supervisor in Albemarle County. There are some more details in Charlottesville's acquisition of KTEC. The Virginia Supreme Court has thrown out a zoning update in Fairfax County that was approved by supervisors at an electronic meeting during the pandemic. And Charlottesville is studying the feasibility of disconnecting its municipal natural gas utility. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, the Rivanna Conservation Alliance wants wildlife and nature photographers to enter their second annual photography contest. They want high-resolution photos related to the Rivanna watershed, and the winning entries will be displayed at the 2023 Rivanna Riverfest on May 20th. The two categories are 16 and under, and those over the age of 17. You can send in two entries, and the work might be used to supplement Rivanna Conservation Alliance publications. For more information, visit rivannariver.org. A second independent has emerged in the race to represent the Rivanna District on the Albemarle Board of Supervisors. Thomas Fadley has filed a statement of organization with the Virginia Department of Elections to run as an independent in the November election. Fadley joins fellow independent David Rhodes in the race to challenge incumbent supervisor B. Lepisto Kirtley in the general election. Lepisto Kirtley has also filed to run for a second time and so far has no challengers in the June 20th Democratic primary. So far, in the Scottsville District race, only Democrat Michael Pruitt has filed to run. In the Whitehall District, Independent Brad Rickle has filed to challenge Democrat Ann Malik in the November 7th election. Malik would be seeking her fifth term. There are seven members of the Albemarle School Board, unlike the six members of the Board of Supervisors. There are two candidates in the race for the at-large school board seat, and they are Meg Bryce and Allison Spillman. In the Rivanna District, Judy Lee has filed for re-election to a second term. Lee won in 2019 in a contested race with 59.8% of the 6,297 votes cast that year. Ellen Osborne is seeking a second term representing the Scottsville District and so far has no challengers. That's according to the Virginia Public Access Project. Joanne McDermott has filed to run for the Whitehall seat on the Albemarle School Board, currently held by Rebecca Berlin. Berlin was appointed to the position last year to fill a vacancy left when David Oberg resigned. A request for comment from Fadley was not received at the time of this publication. That will be included in the article on Information Charlottesville as soon as it's posted. The word Albemarle will be dropped from the name of the Charlottesville Albemarle Technical Education Center as of July 1, 2024. The future use of the word area is one of the many changes announced this morning by Charlottesville City Schools. 
Here's a section from a press release sent out this morning. Charlottesville City Schools and Albemarle County Public Schools are proactively working together to ensure that the Charlottesville Albemarle Career and Technical Education Center continues to thrive once it transitions to the sole ownership of the city school division in July of 2024. Six working groups have been formed to review financial, human resources, programming, infrastructure, and technological tasks that need to be completed. City Council will get an update on April 17th. KTEC was formed as a partnership between the school divisions in 1969, and according to the release, this dissolution dates back to December of 2022, when Albemarle County Schools made an offer to purchase the city's interest. In response, the Charlottesville School Board put in an offer of their own. The Virginia Supreme Court has ruled that the Fairfax County Board of Supervisors did not have the ability to update their zoning code at an electronic meeting in March of 2021. That was during a time when a state of emergency was in effect due to COVID, and many localities in Virginia had put continuity of government rules in place. A group of landowners had sought an injunction to stop the Fairfax Board from taking that action, but a circuit court judge at the time did not grant one. Fairfax County began updating its zoning ordinance in 2016 and planned for a full replacement. According to the ruling, the public engagement effort lasted into late 2020. Former Governor Ralph Northam declared a state of emergency in March of 2020, and the General Assembly included rules in a budget bill about how local government bodies could meet during the emergency. The Fairfax Planning Commission voted to recommend approval of the new zoning on March 3, 2021. Six days later, an emergency circuit court hearing ruled supervisors could take a vote electronically, which they did on March 22nd. The legal battle continued with opponents contending that the continuity of government statute only allowed necessary government actions and that a vote on the zoning ordinance could wait. The Virginia Supreme Court agreed to take up the case of Barry versus Board of Supervisors of Fairfax County and have now ruled that the action was in violation. Here's a section of the opinion from Justice Wesley G. Russell, Jr. By failing to hold the meetings at which ZMOD was considered and ultimately adopted in compliance with the Virginia Freedom of Information Act open meeting requirements, the board's actions prevented the public from participating in the manner required by the act and thus potentially limited public participation and input into the process. For more on the ruling, there are two articles that you can read from links in the newsletter. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and the continued existence of this newsletter and podcast means that many of you support local information. Maybe you'd like to support some local businesses as well. The Buy Local campaign is in full swing, and both the Albemarle and Charlottesville offices of economic development want people to consider spending locally as they shop throughout the year. The Buy Local campaign highlights small businesses within Charlottesville and Albemarle County through a multi-channel, multimedia, promotional, and educational campaign designed to reinforce how important supporting area small businesses is to the local economy. Locally owned, independent businesses with a brick-and-mortar presence in the city or county who are interested in being featured in the campaign should visit www.showlocallove.org or contact info at showlocallove.org. 
For more information on the Buy Local campaign, where are you going to go? Visit www.showlocallove.org or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, or if you care to, Twitter. That's by Local Love, and thank you for their sponsored support. One more segment today. Both the Charlottesville Comprehensive Plan and the Climate Action Plan set their sights on the future of one of the services provided by the municipal government. Here is Lauren Hildebrand, the city's utilities director. The city of Charlottesville owns and maintains a natural gas utility, uh, fossil fuel utility, which we recognize. And we've been operating this utility for over 150 years. This service covers over 21,500 customers in both the city and Albemarle's urban ring. Hildebrand said her department has efficiency programs and provides for carbon offsets, but a study is taking place for the long term as the city seeks to be fossil-free by 2050. We want to make sure that we responsibly, responsibly and accurately determine how the gas utility can be part of the solution in moving forward. We will ask the consultant to provide us information to look at things from a legal standpoint as well as an economic standpoint. Dr. Hui Fang with Black & Veitch got into the details of the plan for how the study will be conducted. She works for the company's Global Advisory Division. In the past few years, we have had a lot of requests supporting um, natural gas utilities such like the, like the city um, that have decarbonization goals while try to balance um, the um, routine operation and reliable serving their customers with the objective of trying to decarbonize their service. These include the Southern California Gas Company, Hawaii Gas, and Black Hills Energy. Black & Veitch is also involved with emerging alternatives, such as the conversion of a coal-fired plant into a hydrogen-powered plant. Uh, we are also helping uh, a couple of um, hydrogen developers trying to um, design and um, establish projects that use renewable energy to provide zero to produce zero carbon hydrogen. Electrification is another alternative that could help the city meet its greenhouse gas reduction goals. The objective is really trying to um, have a, a, a like review of all possible solutions that the city can undertake in order to uh, meet the carbon reduction objective and also um, estimate the potential cost and benefit uh, for each of the solution and highlight um, the potential impact on the city's uh, operating system as well as on the customers or ratepayers. The study is expected to take a year to complete. A separate law firm will issue a legal opinion on whether the city can actually stop offering new connections. Overall, the study will look at the financial impact of new solutions, considering that rates will cover the cost service of new infrastructure that could be required. So we're going to put everything on the table and we will evaluate the um, each of the solution from the perspective of um, technical readiness, making sure that it's, it's technically feasible. Councillor Michael Payne said he was concerned that the presentation had a high emphasis on hydrogen. 
from my understanding, blue hydrogen is not carbon neutral um, and hydrogen technology is pretty far away from being able to be deployed, certainly in a way that's carbon neutral on certainly the scale of like a municipally owned utility. Dr. Fang agreed with that assessment, but said nothing is off the table at this point as the city works towards its goal of being carbon neutral by 2050. More on this story and plenty about climate action in future editions of the program. This is episode number 513, or at least it is the end of it. And to complete the opening section, March 30th is the 89th day of the year and the next prime number day in 2023. There is absolutely no significance to this unless trivia is treasure to you. Me, I find everything interesting. So this is the kind of work that I do. And as you likely know, one in four readers and listeners pay something to keep this newsletter and podcast going. A podcast listener sent me $100 the other day, which I thought was great, and I may start to use this section to thank everybody, because I so want everyone who pays to get something in addition to the trivia. I get something extra from Ting with every paid subscription through Substack. They will match your initial payment, and that is not trivial at all, nor is there high-speed internet. If you would like to sign up for Ting, either is a link in the newsletter and you can enter the promo code community and you will get free installation, a second month for free, and a $75 gift card to the downtown mall. I'm Sean Tubbs. This is the end of the show. And in just about a second, you're going to hear the end of a piece of music created by Rocky. Thank you, Rocky. Thanks, the person who gave me $100. Thank you, world. 